Yo, hey, what's going on? Thanks so much for tuning into The Shalene Show. My name's Shalene Johnson, and today we are talking about what it is we can do when, if, we mess up as parents. That's what we're talking about today on The Shalene Show. Who am I kidding? Listen, if you're a parent, it's not a if you're going to mess up, it's a when you're going to mess up. We take these little bundles of flesh home from the hospital without instructions. We rely on our own experiences, watching the way our parents parented us. Maybe you consult or confer with your partner and you talk about like what things you want to do differently, what things you thought were helpful, what things were hurtful. And then you just try to do your best. And then on top of that, each child is completely different. And the age that we're raising our children in is so different from when we were raised. Like there's so many potential pitfalls when it comes to raising good humans. And you're a human, which means you are flawed, which means we're all going to mess up. So first and foremost, I just want you to know I love you. Don't beat yourself up. Drop the mom guilt. Drop the dad guilt. And just know that there's a lot that we can do. We've all messed up. We've messed up in the past. We're going to mess up again in the future. And that doesn't mean that we have to sweep it under the rug. As you will hear from today's expert, Dr. Michaela Sarno, there's so much that we can do to repair the damage that we know we've done. And there's also, she's going to give us some incredible tips and suggestions on how to handle it if we find out later from our kids something we did that was upsetting to them or hurtful or or even damaging. And that's just the last thing you ever would want to hear from your child is that you hurt them. But there's a right way and a wrong way to respond. And we're going to dig into all of that today on The Shalene Show. Without further ado, Dr. Michaela Sarno. Dr. Michaela Sarno, thank you so much for joining me today. We've been talking a lot on the podcast recently, kind of like about parenting. I mean, it's a common topic. And I think now that I my children are adults, I realize it kind of never ends. But one of the questions I've been getting a lot recently relates to this issue of guilt or even admission like, okay, so I know I have messed up. And as parents, we all do that, right? And we sometimes, more often than not, we know when we've messed up, we're going to mess up. That's just part of life. No matter how hard you try, no matter how perfect you try to be, you're going to mess up because we're humans. And you treat, let's just face it, a lot of adults whose parents majorly messed up, (laughs) right? So what I'd love to hear from you, from your perspective, you've probably treated people, I assume, whose parents messed up and handled it the wrong way, and maybe parents who messed up and handled it in a way that created less damage. And that's what we want to do. Everyone who's listening today, we want our kids to thrive. And when we know we've messed up, I'm hoping that you can share with us today some of your best tips for how to handle it. Absolutely. Where do we start? I guess the first thing I would want to know is like, what is the biggest mistake that we can make when we do mess up? Like, what's the number one, like, don't do this? Well, there's a lot of big mistakes, but one of them is when we explain why we did it. So Mm. I'm sorry that I did this. The reason I do it is because when I was growing up or because, you know, this happened at work. And and when we do that, while those reasons might be valid, the message it's sending your child is this isn't about you. It's not about your feelings Mm. or what you're going through. 
again, this is about me. And that's what I hear over and over again is, you know, my parents, you know, they, they acknowledged it or they said they were sorry, but they make, my parents always make everything about them. Even when their parents share that they feel guilty again, it might, she's making it about her. He's making it about him. Mm. Okay. So I think almost every parent has had like a really horrible day and there's other things going on and then your kids do whatever and then you just lose it on them. I mean, I can specifically remember like the car I was driving in and the age that my kids were to this day, I still have guilt and it haunts me that I I knew I just lost it on them and it wasn't about them. There was just like a lot of other things going on and they were really young. So what should I have done Maybe they don't even remember it. They probably don't. Like I'm guessing Brock was probably like, I don't know, five and maybe Sierra was like two. When they're really young, what's the right thing to do? Well, I think when they're really young, I, I think it can really at any age, but depending on how well they, you know, they understand your language, but it's sending them the message, always keeping in mind, you know, it's not what you tell kids, it's what they experience. So we have to make sure that we hold ourselves accountable and always be you know, the minute we, before we pick them up, if we had a hard day, being aware that it was a hard day mm-hmm. and already anticipating that we're going to be calm and watch what we say, et cetera. But once that happens, it's sending them the message that because kids are going to fill in the gap. We all fill in the gap growing up in terms of what things mean. So it's sending them the message that your explosion or your anger or frustration it isn't because of anything they did. It's because of what you're feeling and your inability to field your emotions differently or whatever, however you want to put it. Because mm-hmm. if, you don't, if we don't fill in the gap for kids, they're going to automatically, the psyche is going to do it for them. They're going to automatically form a belief. What does this say about me? It's my fault. I've done something wrong. I should have known better, what have you. We always want to fill in the gap because all kids will always internalize and personalize everything that happens and that it's their fault, even when it seems so logical to us that they know it's not their fault. We still so want to fill in the gap. Is your recommendation then that we apologize to them and explain that this wasn't about you? I mean, yeah, it wasn't anything you did. Even if a kid was acting out or they were fighting in the back seat, the fact of the matter is, as adults, it doesn't matter what they do. We need to have the ability to, to regulate our emotions, to manage our emotions. So the bottom line is but always. I guess my question them. is, how then is that different from kind of explaining and, you know, to your point, as we opened, bringing it back to yourself. So if in that example that I just gave you, if I said to, you know, Brock, who was one who probably would understand at that age. You know, I'm so sorry, mommy lost her temper and that's not okay. And it's nothing you did. I love you both. I was having a bad day. Am I offering an excuse? Am I making it about me? Well, you could, I mean, if we're going to do do the correct way, say everything, you did, but leave out having a bad day as opposed to, and mommy needs to learn how to control what she's feeling. Ah, uh, okay. That's tricky, you know, because you do want, I understand how you want to help them to understand that this is not about you. You've done nothing wrong. This isn't even your fault. But at the same time, 
not make it about ourselves when it is about ourselves. Like, you know, when you lose it like that and you've, you're correcting, you're yelling, you're shouting in, and you have emotion and drama, that is about what you're going through. And that is why you did that thing. And it feels like, I know many times I did tell my kids, like that had nothing to do with you. It was just the straw that broke the camel's back. And I'm sorry, because I took it out on you. Right. It didn't have anything to do with them, but it still affected them. Mm -hmm. So So in other words, apologize to them without making excuses, but also give them enough explanation so they truly do understand this isn't your doing. This isn't your fault. Exactly. And that, and then we don't want to make promises that we can't keep such as, and I'm, I'm never going to do that again because then we lose their trust and I'm going to work on this all the time. Ah. I'm going to work on this so that I can learn not to do this because this is something you should never have to deal with. You know, there's that making promises to your kids, right? I always believe that one of the most important things you can do with a child is to be like as close to as 100% consistent as possible. They will remember the one time out of a thousand Mm -hmm. that you didn't follow through, that you negotiated with them, that you didn't keep your promise. So that consistency is really important to kids. And why is that? Like, why do kids, you know, we say, I'm never going to do this again. And then we do, what type of damage does that do? Well, just, it makes them not trust us anymore Mm. because it's not what we tell them. It's what they experience. If you tell a kid one thing, but your actions, if you're incongruent in your actions, they're not going to trust you. It's no different than saying things over and over. If you tell a kid, I love you over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. they stop trusting you. If you, mm. if you say, I'm sorry, over and over and over again, they'd stop trusting you. So you have to remain congruent and keep certain terms special. Saying I love you is something special. If you say it all the time, then kids, it loses its importance to a kid. Dang. Okay. So what do you mean though, by saying it all the time? Like, I think we said it to our kids all the time. We said it to them when they woke up. We said it to them when they went to school. We said it to them before they went to bed. We said it to them randomly during the day. Like how much is too much? Well, I think saying it, I mean, I think all parents do, but especially, you know, parents who grew up certain a certain way, even amongst your typical parent or adult, you try to make up maybe for, you know, what you weren't told, or you try to make sure that they know this. But if you say it over and over again, the kids starts to think, well, why is my parent repeating this over and over again? And they start to question that. How much is too much? In what circumstances, I guess, is what I'm trying to evaluate is like, you know, it seems like you couldn't ever tell your child that you love them too much. You would think that, but kids, it loses its importance. Just Mm -hmm. so once or twice a day, you tell them because it's not special Mm -hmm. anymore. And they're wondering why are they saying that over and over again? And what about the parents who don't say it or don't say it enough? How does that impact a child? They're going to fill in the gap. What does that mean? Everything means something to kids. That's the way the psyche works, even outside of their conscious awareness, is that must mean something. What does that say about me that they never say that? Especially because they're going to know other parents maybe say it to their kids. If they're aware that that's the case, why isn't my parents saying that? This is a topic that came up recently on Instagram, yelling and shouting with your kids, right? And that's just something we never did. I mean, I'm not going to say never, but very, very rarely. I can 
literally remember maybe two or three times in their entire childhoods where I yelled and it wasn't effective and it had everything to do with me not being in control of my emotions in that moment, trying to correct them while I was very frustrated and it wasn't effective and it didn't feel good. So I just rarely did it. We just were really conscientious about not doing that with our kids. And also we had great role models. Like my parents never yelled at us when we were in trouble. And Brett's parents, they didn't need to yell at him. Like they had that fear and discipline and respect. So they didn't need to. But I do think that becomes a habit and almost a part of a family's culture, a part of a family's like history and habit. And I've heard from a lot of people this week on, especially in social media, who've reached out to me to say like, my family yells, we are yellers. I yell at my kids. I don't like it. How do I stop? And, you know, so in a situation like that, where you're going to apologize to your kid, but you've been yelling at them for like the last, you know, 10 years, how do you say I'm sorry and not lose their trust? Because you might do it again. It's a habit now. I think hopefully you're motivated by knowing the impact that yelling does have on a kid. I think if we don't realize the impact it has, then it's not, we're not as motivated. It's not as important. Well, we all grow. I grew up with that and it didn't affect me, but whatever a kid feels, that is what they learn to believe. So mm -hmm. if you're yelling at them and even though they know they're safe, but it doesn't feel safe, mm. that becomes a core belief. I'm not safe. If it makes them feel worthless, even if you explain yourself, I'm worthless becomes a core belief. Wow. Parents that yell, that will cause a child to grow up with anxiety. So tell me about that. I mean, you're seeing adults now and you're hearing about their childhoods. What impact, you mentioned impact, what impact does yelling and shouting at children, you know, not physical abuse, but just that kind of explosive anger, what impact does that have? It teaches a child that, a, they don't know what to expect in the world and that it teaches them that they have to be very diligent. It puts them on defense all the time, mm -hmm. not to mention. So it's either going to play out in I'm worthless and it's going to play out in depression later on in life, or it's going to play out in most often anxiety. And that adult will always have to be diligent and always kind of in survival mode and always having to be 10 steps ahead. And then we see that play out, anxiety or depression, which are both ego defenses. It plays out in all those behaviors, those nervous behaviors and drinking addictions and workaholics. It plays out in insecurities, worrying about what other people think. It'll just play out in whatever defense it uses to distract us from the memories of being yelled at, really, and what that means. Does that make sense? Completely. And in a family where yelling is the norm, I assume because, you know, I've had friends whose families yelled. And if the parent was in a habit of doing that, having a normal conversation didn't have the same impact anymore. So they felt like they, I'm assuming you feel like you have to yell to get your kid's attention because that's the criteria that you've established. That like if I'm speaking in a normal speaking tone, you don't have anything to fear. You don't have to worry, but it's when I raise my voice, it's when I yell, now you know, now you should be on notice. And so how does a parent change that dynamic so that the child actually will be on notice or does respond without 
having that like really loud, explosive yelling as a pattern. And that's so common too. Like, I don't know how to get this kid's attention. So I yell. Yeah. In fact, when you yell at a kid, they shut down. They don't even hear you. It makes it worse. Mm. And, and they learn to shut down. The minute you start yelling, they drowned you out and they're not listening. And so it's learning a better way if my kid's not listening, a better way as opposed to yelling, because that's going to create the opposite effect is giving them eye contact, slowing down, connecting with them in such a way that they can hear you and you feel like they're hearing you. If this is a pattern in a family and mom or dad's listening right now and they're like, okay, I've got to change this. The thought of me contributing to my child's anxiety and depression and that I'm making my kid feel like they're walking on eggshells and creating all these future problems for them. I've got to change this. I'm going to change this. How do you recommend that they have this discussion with their kids? The discussion that they're going to work on it? We, yeah. We, is that, I guess that's my question. Do you go to your child and you say, listen, or your children, this is what I've been doing. Here's why it's not okay. And here's what I'm going to work to do. Or do you just go about trying to repair it? I think it depends on the age. You know, if we're talking about a teen or what have you, you may want to share and I'm going to work on it. And I'm doing that now. I'm reading, I'm learning, or I'm going to therapy. We always want to make therapy a a positive experience because then your kids will also go to therapy if they know that that's a okay thing to do. So it really depends on, on the age, but it's letting them know just, you know, it's very simplified what you're going to do to change it. And that kind of gives you a little bit more credibility as opposed to these are just words. All right, we're going to take a quick break to recognize our show sponsor, MySoulCBD.com. You guys know that I love CBD and I think it's a really important tool to use when you're trying to cut down on inflammation in your body. The way that it is able to help your central nervous system is the reason why you hear CBD being talked about in terms of providing relief for so many different things, period cramps, anxiety, sleep, inflammation, so many different things that people are talking about using CBD. And you might think to yourself, how is this even possible? Is it too good to be true? Well, CBD actually helps your central nervous system recalibrate. And that's why it is so powerful when it comes to helping anything that relates to pain, anxiety, inflammation, sleep issues, etc. Now, the question is, how do you find a reputable CBD company? And the answer is my soul CBD. They have zero THC, which means you're not going to get high from doing it. You can actually give it to your children. All of their products contain zero THC, and they are third-party lab tested. I personally think that it's a wonderful alternative to use the CBD gummies. That's what we're using right now for Bob. I take the CBD gummies myself. I take them in conjunction with the Dream Capsules. That's my absolute favorite product for my soul CBD. All of their products are grown here in the USA. They are organically farmed. They are gluten-free. They also have some amazing oils. So like if you don't want to do the gummies and if you're not a capsules kind of girl or guy, then check out their oils, the drops. You just put a couple of drops underneath your tongue. It's amazing. They've got a new one. I think it's called Watermelon Mint. Can't remember the name of it. But they just, you could add them to your water. They really do make a huge difference. And yes, even Rocco, our dog, is now doing the My Soul CBD pet line. It's amazing. 
And what's really cool is you're going to get 20% off automatically at checkout when you go to here's the website. Don't forget it. It's mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. Don't forget the forward slash Shaleen. Then you don't have to enter a code. That 20% will be taken for you automatically at checkout. Again, it is mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. And as always, the show sponsors links are in our show notes. So while you're listening to the podcast, you can just kind of hover your finger over the show art, look at our show notes, you can just click on it and you can order while you continue listening to this episode of The Shaleen Show. How cool is that? All right, back to the show. What would you suggest? What advice do you have for that mom or dad who's listening right now and they know that they messed up last summer and it's still like, that's the first thing they think of while they're listening to this podcast, like that moment and they're beating themselves up and the guilt has crept in. And, but they're also thinking, well, I don't want to bring it up because I don't want to re-traumatize my child. So let's just not talk about it. Let's just sweep it under the rug. But the parent is still thinking about it. What would you recommend? What advice do you have for them? Should they go back and apologize? Yes. And and that's, what's so great about, you know, children, even adolescents and even in teens is we can always reconcile those mistakes. And we always want to reconcile it because if, if we go, we look at it, you know, every adult that walks into my office and what they're dealing with is whatever that belief is about themselves, because that's, you know, children, their sense of self, it's developed all those years. And so we look at whatever that child felt at that time, how they filled in the gap. So it would sound something like, listen, Johnny, you know, a couple months ago or last year or five years ago when you told me this and I reacted this way, I just want you to know that in that moment that my response was not because you did anything wrong or it was your fault or that you were burdened for telling me or it just literally fill in the gaps. That mm-hmm. was about me and my, my own barriers that mm-hmm. I have to get beyond and I have to work on. But I want you to know it didn't mean anything about you. Mm. Wow. Wow. That's a really powerful example that what you just gave, because you didn't add the, but like, but you were really hard to handle at that time or, but your father did da, da, da. like, it's just how many adults come to you and remember something that happened in their childhood that their parents never apologized for. How often every, does that happen? Every single adult that comes, that's literally what they're working on. And do you ever have adults who you're seeing who their parents did apologize or one parent did apologize? And, and how is that different? One doesn't cancel out the other. So oh, okay. if, if one parent didn't reconcile that, that child's still going to form that core belief regardless. Mm. What but, are we teaching our child when we do say, I'm sorry? Well, we're teaching them to be humble, to take responsibility, that it's okay to say that I'm sorry, that it's that's such a good question, but that is so important because it's part of a part of how we learn how to evolve, which is having the ability to not always be right, teaching yeah. them humility. Otherwise, you know, we're all born narcissists and we can create narcissistic children. It, it can be a learned behavior. And part of that learned behavior in narcissism is never acknowledging when we're wrong. And so it's such a good role modeling to acknowledge when we're wrong and Mm. and role model that it's okay to be wrong and to acknowledge that. It's almost that narcissism that might lead us to believe that as the parent, 
we are too important to actually need their forgiveness. And by not apologizing, you know, it's that omission that's teaching, I think, teaching a child that they don't deserve to be treated with respect or they don't deserve to be treated kindly, you know, by the people who love them the most. Right. I mean, we also have to find keep a balance there too, because if you're going to apologize for each instance, you only want to apologize once because you, we have to maintain that hierarchy. And whenever we over-apologize, now we're putting ourselves on the same level as our children and we don't want to do that. They still need that authority figure in their life. Interesting. Yeah. And how often do you find you're treating adults who, as a child, they went to their parent and told them something horrible that happened to them, like maybe they were abused or bullied, or maybe even their emotion about a divorce, and the parent handled it in a way that was almost dismissive? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, maybe that parent didn't necessarily do something wrong, but like the child confides in their parent that like, they were touched inappropriately. And mom says, well, we won't go over there again and don't talk about this. That's obviously not an apology. The parent may not have thought they did anything wrong, but what's the right way to handle that? Well, it, I mean, super important that the, the response of your caregiver is so crucial because it can be more of a trauma depending on how they responded than the trauma the child is sharing to begin with. And the response is everything. What's the appropriate response? When a child shares something that happened? Yeah, like something like that, like really traumatic. Or maybe even a child doesn't even know it's traumatic. Maybe the way that they share it is almost minimized, but a parent knows, you know, and the parent just responds by going, well, okay, the child's not making that big of a deal about this. So therefore I'm not going to make this that big of a deal about this. Let's just brush this under the rug. So I think first and foremost, it's thanking them for telling you so that we encourage that behavior. I love that you came and told me that, that you felt like you could. And then it just investigating, simplified investigating. So how are you feeling about that? Are you feeling okay about that? Mm. Do you have any questions about that? And if they don't, then we don't need to probe, but leaving it with, okay, well, if you do have any questions or if you start feeling any way about it or confused about it, just know that you can come back and tell me and we can talk about it. Yeah. When we do apologize to our kids, when we've messed up, do we ask for their feedback? Do we have a discussion or is this a one-way conversation? Well, it depends on what context. We, mm. you know, we always want to kind of follow it up with kind of what I said, which is, you know, I'm sorry that this happened and this is something that I'm working on or I need to work on. And I understand the impact that it had on you, but just leave it with, you know, if you're feeling any sort of way about that or you know, unless you have any other questions, then, you know, just know that I'm always here to talk about it, but I'm working on it and I love you. And what about the situation where your kid really freaking deserved it? Like, you know, I'm going to try to come up with a scenario. Like you come home and find out that your 13 year old has gone into the liquor cabinet and you freak out. Right. And, and now you're like, if I apologize to this kid, that I'm not happy with my own behavior, that I wish I'd handled things differently. Am I going to undermine the severity and the seriousness of what I, you know, walked into? You almost feel justified. 
No, because you're sending the, you know, you want to send the right message, which is it's not minimizing what they did. It's Mm. teaching them that while what you did, Johnny, was disappointing, I was disappointed in it, in, in that behavior, but it still doesn't validate my, or still doesn't excuse that I yelled at you. Right. So, so what really role modeling to them is what it looks like to take personal responsibility. And that's a skill that I think a lot of kids never learned to master because they were never role modeled it in their lifetimes. You know, they didn't have a parent who took personal responsibility for, you know, incorrect or misguided behaviors. So it's difficult to have a, your child learn how to take personal responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. Because if, if they're not learning that, then those are the children that grow up to be people pleasers and everything is their fault. And they, you know, learn that magical thinking that, oh, okay. So if those things were my fault, because that parent isn't filling in that gap, then, oh, I have the power then to dictate how mom or dad or people are going to act or respond. And that turns into the codependency. And, and you can just see how we go down that road of now changing the way we are because we didn't learn how we take responsibility for things. So we overly take responsibility for everything. In other words, if our mm. parents don't take responsibility, the child's going to believe it's always their fault. And that continues all throughout our life. Wow. How often do you find when you're treating adults who grew up in a household where there was abuse, whether it's verbal abuse or physical abuse, that they have anger towards the other parent, maybe the parent who wasn't abusive, but who was there? What do you think that parent needs to be aware of? The parent who right now is like, I'm not the one doing all the screaming. I'm not the one who's slamming doors and punching walls. What is that parent's role? Well, they're an accomplice. The fact that they're allowing that to happen, that's how the adult sees it, you know, from their childhood stuff is that's usually the hardest place that they have to go is because usually you'll grow up and then that adult will blame the abuser, Mm -hmm. but eventually they get to, but wait a minute, why did mom allow that to happen? And those beliefs that form are a result of, I must not have mattered. I wasn't important because that parent allowed it to happen. So we can't be an accomplice to mm, things and yeah. that have an impact. So that it's not where their anger and sadness lies maybe initially, but later that deep rooted, like, wait a second, there was another adult there. Why weren't they doing anything? Why yeah, were they yeah. allowing this to happen? Right. It's a total betrayal because the very adult that was safe was also dismissive and didn't protect them. Wow. That's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. We are going to mess up, right? And we all have. Yep. I have, you have, everyone who's listening who's a parent, we've messed up, whether we intended to or not. Like, I mean, I talk about one of the most pivotal moments of my life is a conversation I had with my dad that is just the way I interpreted it. He didn't do anything wrong. It was just the way I interpreted it that really led to my addiction to work and how I saw myself as either valuable or invaluable. And, and so some of the ways that we're going to mess up, we didn't even mean to mess up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's a tough question. How do we handle when our adult children come back to us and say, hey, this really screwed me up from my childhood. And 
we didn't do anything intentionally. And maybe even in our minds, we think, I didn't do anything wrong. What is this kid talking about? And you want to almost be angry and defensive because in your mind, you're like, well, that's not how it went down. That's not what happened. But this adult child comes back to you and says, but this was my experience. How do we handle that? And that happens all the time, uh, surprisingly. And the worst thing that we can do, which happens all the time, Uh defend ourselves. Yeah. It's just a natural tendency. You'd want to be like, what are you talking about? You had such a, you know what I mean? And I did the best I could. And you have to understand that I was under a lot of stress. And and it's the same thing as for a little kid. It's the same thing that it's minimizing as opposed to saying something like, I'm just sorry that that happened. I'm sorry I wasn't there for you the way you needed me to be. That's Mm. how an adult child can heal. Okay. So that's pretty important to do. Defending is the worst thing you can do. Wow. Any suggestions for that adult who's listening who would like to have this conversation with their parent now that they're an adult to say like, hey, you know, this is kind of sucky that this happened and I want to let you know I'm, I'm dealing with this today. Is there a way to have that conversation that doesn't trigger defensiveness on the part of the parent? Well, there is. And whenever I have an adult client who starts to you know, suggest that they're going to go back and they're going to have this conversation with their parents because of something that happened. I always want to encourage them first to identify what's your intention? What do you hope to happen? Because usually usually they're doing it with the intention of whatever their response is, is going to validate either whatever they're feeling and validate that they do matter. If they respond the right way, then I do matter. If I respond the right way, then I am important, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'll encourage that adult, you can do that. But before you do that, it's important to remember to know that regardless of their response, your truth is your truth. They can't change that. Mm. They don't make it more real or more valid. And regardless of their response, it doesn't change who you are or what you experienced. So if you're doing it just for the sake of feeling empowered, Mm. what have you, don't do it for the response that you're going to get. In other words, this is great. Don't do it if what you're expecting them to be is different than who they were. Like if you're confronting them almost in an effort to give them the chance to get it right or to make it right or to admit culpability or to even just say, I'm sorry. If you're doing it for that reason, you're not going to necessarily get the outcome that you're hoping for. Exactly. And a lot of times they're not going to get that, but the motivation to do that is usually to validate a belief. And so then what, is there ever a circumstance where you would say, yeah, you know what? Okay. It makes sense. You need to go back and tell your mom this happened or tell your dad it wasn't okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've had many clients that do that. I I always make sure that they understand Mm. if you're doing it, you're doing it for yourself. Okay. And that should be the only reason. That's powerful. That's huge. Oh my gosh. I have to imagine that it's pretty rare that you go back to someone who didn't have the tools back then and tell them what happened mm-hmm. and that you're ever going to get, I mean, I have to imagine it's pretty rare that this person is going to get the response that they needed. Mm-hmm. And that's why we, I don't encourage that. Because but think about it. It's like as a parent, the most painful thing you could ever hear from your child is you hurt me. You know, you'll just do anything. You'll just 
crawl away on glass to not have to hear that, even though what if I'm hearing you, we need to hear that and we need to not make it about us and we need to say, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Exactly. With no, without the buts, without an explanation, if we want the best for our, our children, our adult children, if we want to reconcile, we just simply apologize for whatever we did or didn't do or what happened. I'm sorry that that happened, period. All right. So what advice do you have for those of us who, again, like I said, we know we've messed up. How do we drop that debilitating guilt? Do we go back and say we're sorry? What advice do you have for those of us who maybe have said we're sorry, but still feel a tremendous amount of guilt? The guilt within themselves or the guilt yeah. that they want to interact with, with themselves? So, you know, guilt, any emotion is always going to be intertwined with a belief. And so mm-hmm. you know, the belief is usually, I should have known better. It's my fault, et cetera. And we want to be able to change that to, I did the best I could. And if mm-hmm. we're going to change that belief, then it's not what we do. It's what we do about it. And oh. you know, we can white knuckle, you know, for the rest of our lives, as long as we're on our game, these automatic responses we have, these knee-jerk reactions, but we always have to be on our game because those are automatic. They're coming from our subconscious mind. If we're going to be telling our, it's not what we do, it's what we do about it. I did the best I could. I do the best I can. Then we want to invest in doing the work to change that about ourselves. Wow. I mean, don't you just wish? I Maybe you don't because it's, it's job security, but isn't it kind of crazy that we send people home from the hospital with these human beings mm-hmm. and so many of us really don't know how fragile their psyche and egos are and how these little things that we do and say can shape their lives. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the good news is we have the ability, as you've said, to respond and to fix it and to do better. Like the ability to do, everybody has the ability to do better. And obviously those of you who are listening right now, you, you want to do better as a parent or you wouldn't be listening. And that in and of itself is pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I always tell you know parents is, if I'm going to leave you with anything is that all I do all day long is I have to go back into that gap that now is so tucked away and it's become a truth. We have to go back into that gap that was filled and help that adult or that person create a new truthful conclusion, a new truthful belief. Mm. So at the very least, it's always remembering, don't leave it up to your kid or assume your kid is smart enough and logical enough to fill in this gap in the right way, fill it in for them in terms of what things mean. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. Well, Dr. Michaela, how can people who would like more help here, maybe in their parenting or working through some things that their parents may have done to them as they were children, just working through traumas, how can people work with you and learn more? Uh, well, they can reach me and go to my website, drmichaela.com. They can request to do a session in office or on Zoom. You definitely do virtual sessions. I do virtual sessions. For some people, that are, whether they don't have the time or what have you, I have you know online courses. My in-session program also kind of walks people through you know, how to change those knee-jerk reactions and what that's all about. And we can find that on your website as well? On my website as well. Mm-hmm. And for those who are you know, dealing with anxiety or you know, kind of have these responses that they're deal- you know, struggling with, Mm-hmm. I'm starting a group just for anxiety and 
That's something that if you want to learn more about or you're interested in joining, it's just a group for you to work through that anxiety. You can follow me on Instagram and just send me a DM. Oh, that's awesome. By the way, your Instagram is fantastic for anyone who suffers from anxiety. You've just got some great posts and very useful. So I will put links to all of that in our show notes. I'm going to call you Dr. Michaela, but I also like to call you my singing student. People follow me on Instagram know that I am responsible for your beautiful singing voice. You are. At least I like to think. Everything I've learned. It's amazing. Uh, You're awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Totally appreciate you. Love you. All right. Thanks for having me. I love you too.